Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. I'm Piers Morgan Uncensored. Tonight, as my interview with Ukraine's President Zelensky and First Lady Elena makes headlines across the world, Russia launches a barrage of new missile strikes, including on Kyiv, the city I've just returned from. Well, tonight, I'll talk to one of America's finest ever military commanders and a former CIA chief, General David Petraeus, on whether Ukraine can win this war and what he thinks we should do about Putin. Also tonight, he's the most uncensored man in world sporting history. Cigar-chomping, hard-drinking, golf legend and Trump pal John Daly. He'll be here live. Piers Morgan uncensored, safely back in London, but sadly that's not the case for the people left in Ukraine. There's another barrage of Russian missiles hit its cities, including Kyiv, where I've just come back from. Tonight we'll bring you reaction to my interview with the Zelenskys and we'll bring you analysis on the big question of how and when can Ukraine end this war. But first... Well, everything that you see and hear tonight is based on the real accounts of the people involved. The shocking true story of the TV presenter who fainted on set and the prime ministerial candidate who almost followed her. It was the mystery collapse. Right here, in my studio, the stunned the nation, and in particular, the favourite to be next Tory leader, Liz Truss. If he succeeds in Ukraine, he's not going to stop there. He's going to challenge the freedom and democracy. Well, I'm relieved to say that Talk TV's political editor, Kate McCann, is back on her feet. Actually, she's not. She's sitting down just in case we have another unfortunate incident. <laughs> Kate, lovely to see you alive, first of all. <laughs> Thank you, Piers. What have you done to that studio? <laughs> it's a crime scene. You literally created the crime scene in my studio, uh, as you can see. Uh, we've still got the podium lying here, a shambolic-looking podium. Uh, I've got to say, I, I just got back from Ukraine and I was watching just to see, well, it's the first time you guys have used my studio. Uh, would it go as smoothly as it normally does? And honestly, you were doing so well. And then suddenly, bang, and I actually thought one of the lights had crashed on your head. So I was yeah. feeling a bit guilty. That was our fault. And then I realised, no, the blame was entirely yours. 
No, quite. I know. Unexpected and, as I said, a little bit embarrassing and a little bit bruised. But hopefully didn't dent your studio floor, I don't think. <laughs> the worst thing about <laughs> it is that all the papers for two days have had massive pictures of you with health updates on Kate McCann. <laughs> You're becoming a bigger star than me and that's eating away at my soul. And so, you've been uh, hating it. Whilst I'm pleased to see you, it's kind of getting, it's getting me down a bit. So can you just keep a low profile <laughs> for a day or two? Um, on a serious note, Kate, great to see you. And it was actually... It's a very interesting debate until that happened. And that was a really interesting moment anyway. So well done on a, on a cracking night. <laughs> but tonight they're out again, aren't they, the, the two candidates? Mm. And it seems to me, looking from the outside of this, what you've got is a clear division amongst the Conservatives who are going to decide the fate of these two between how they view the candidates. On the economy, they seem to view Sunak as a preferred candidate. On almost every other traditional Conservative issue, they're leaning towards Liz Truss, hence her being favourite. And yet the economy might well end up being, to my mind, the most important factor of any future Prime Minister, given the way the economy is going. Yeah, I think you're completely right. It could end up being a real battle between Conservative members' heads and hearts here, because in their heads, I think a lot of them look at Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak and they think, well, you know, Liz Truss is talking a really good game here, she's talking about tax cuts, but Rishi Sunak is the man who's the small-c Conservative. He's a little bit more cautious on the economy, he's taking a longer-term view. He's probably the more sensible option, but in their hearts, what they see when they look at Liz Truss is probably a bit more of an exciting prospect. Now, exciting doesn't always mean smooth sailing, and the party has opted for Boris Johnson, and that's not necessarily been an easy couple of years for them. So it's going to be a real tussle. And I was talking with Adam Bolton just before and he was saying it will come down to whether Conservative members want to win the next general election because when you look at the polling of the general population, mm. most people do prefer Rishi Sunak to Liz Truss. Now, that could change and polls are just polls. But if they are going off that, then they might be wise to choose Rishi Sunak. Really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of time left in this race. Liz Truss ahead at the moment. If you were advising Rishi Sunak... What's he got to do? Well, I think we've seen what some of his advisers must have told him to do in the debate so far, which was be more punchy. He's been really determined. He's been talking over Liz Truss, sometimes, actually, to the point where you really can't even hear what she's saying. And that's gone two ways. With some members, they really haven't liked it. They've accused him of mansplaining. Liz Truss's own camp has said that. But for others, I think that the calculation has been that maybe this was the side that he needed to show, that he had a bit of spunk, something about him, and he wasn't just the Conservative mm. Chancellor, former Chancellor. I think it's really difficult for him now. At these hustings tonight, they've both gone very hard on having Northern Roots being the person to take forward the Northern powerhouse, levelling up. But I just don't know whether that's going to be enough for him in this race with Tory members. And as I say, I think it will come down over the next couple of days to that head versus heart decision. And the ballot papers, remember, will go out over the next week or so. And many members will make their choice early. So although this contest does have a few more weeks to run, it could well be over quicker than we think. One of the more selfish uh, thoughts I had the other night was that you were literally about to ask both candidates 
about the moment from my Zelensky interview... <laughs> I was. ..where he talks about the two candidates. And it's an interesting <laughs> question where the president of Ukraine admits he's very worried about what comes after his great friend Boris Johnson, who's been such a great supporter. I have to say, being in, in Ukraine for a few days, they love Boris Johnson over there. I think he's been a tremendous supporter. And it's an interesting question for them because he wants to get, and clearly this war could be raging even more ferociously by the time they take over as PM, he wants to get a feeling, Zelensky, that whoever follows Boris will be as supportive, if not more so. On that, on that issue, who do you think is more likely to be the more supportive or are they the same? Yeah, it would have been such a powerful question because neither of them would have known that it was coming and they would have had to have thought of their answer just right there in the studio. So it's such a shame I didn't get to ask it. But I think it would have been really difficult for Rishi Sunak to navigate because his whole promise is that he's going to be economically very careful. And remember, the conversation had been throughout that debate about bills, about pressure and about the fact that people couldn't afford their shopping. And we were coming on to talk about energy bills. And that's something so closely linked to Ukraine. And there has been some conversation, if you like, about if the UK government is going to continue to support Ukraine, about the impact that's going to have on everybody and how the government keeps the country with that fight, if you like. Now, Liz Truss, I think, has a pretty strong answer here. She's been closer to that issue as Foreign Secretary. She's also been quite determined from the very start to throw her weight behind the Ukrainians. So perhaps she may well have edged it in that answer. I think in reality, both of them are very determined to keep that level of support up. But potentially Rishi Sunak understands the impact that it will have on families a bit mm. more and knows how much it's going to take to try and offset that. Yeah, OK, it's great to see you. And we've got a little, little tribute to you, really. So it's a brilliant song by Chawamba Wamba. Remember this? <laughs> yes, I remember this song. <laughs> it's great to see you. Great to see you back on your feet. Oh, nearly. Nearly. <laughs> good to see you, Kate. Thank All you. the best. Take care. Thanks. You're banned from the studio, Bye. but good to see you. Well, in my world, let's do the interview with President Zelensky. Uh, he urged President Biden to visit Ukraine to send the, the strongest signal of support that he could have. On Sensitive Next, we'll discuss what he said there and how the rest of the world can support Ukraine to end this war. General David Petraeus and Ukrainian MP Kira Rubik. We've been bringing you special coverage of Ukraine's war from Kyiv. It was an extraordinary journey into a country on high alert. I met some remarkable people suffering untold agony at the hands of Putin's invaders. I also met some very inspiring people in a country whose brave, unwavering resistance has rallied the world. One man has symbolised and inspired that resistance above all others, President Zelensky. And on the last night's show, we brought you my world exclusive interview with the President and the First Lady, Elena Zelenska. It's been making headlines across the world, and here's a reminder of why. Thank you for the interview. This interview is one of the good opportunities for us to see each other. These kind of situations, they can make or break a marriage. I have to begin to answer. <laughs> okay. Okay, I will. I'm ready. Please. Sometimes we, I, I can see smile, and and also I, I have these minutes for smiling. I think it helps helps very much. The most important thing is not to have divorces every week. We are managing. We are managing? Yes, we are managing is not the right word. We are in love with each other, okay? Okay. Will you ever contemplate doing any kind of deal? We 
We are not prepared to exchange or trade the territory of the independent state of Ukraine. What is your view of Vladimir Putin? It seems to me the scariest thing about it is that he is in fact sane and he understands what he's doing. Are you worried that Boris Johnson is now going to be leaving Downing Street, leaving the Soviet To be honest, I am worried about it. President Biden hasn't been to Ukraine yet. Have you invited him? Yes. You have? Yeah. Are you hopeful he'll come? I don't know that his choice. I think if, if he'll have any possibilities, he will come. Well, he forgot. <laughs> he forgot? You forgot to tell your wife you're running for president? You found out on TV? <laughs> no, really? No. Mr. President, I'm... Really? You, you no, announced no, it on no, television no, no, before you, you told your wife? I, not... <laughs> I was not laughing so much. So loud last, last five months. Well, just hours after that interview aired, a stark reminder of the realities of this war, indiscriminate Russian bombing, more than 25 missiles fired from Belarus across Ukraine, including areas around Kyiv that hadn't been struck for four weeks. Rockets raining down on civilian infrastructure. In Vishgorod, a small city just 12 and a half miles from where I was staying, uh, and very near where we did some filming, in fact, in a military base in Liutish, uh, which is just 20 miles from city centre. All of Ukraine, of course, is a war zone. When Putin can fire missiles more than 1,000 miles, and nobody's safe and nobody will be safe until Putin's war is over. So how do we stop him? Well, joining me now is the former CIA director and top military commander, General David Petraeus. Uh, General, thank you so much for joining me. I can't think of a better person, actually, that I'd like to talk uh, about this with than you. I've just spent a few days in Ukraine, in Kyiv. Uh, I met with President Zelensky, had a long interview with him. And my overriding sense was that both the people and the president are utterly determined not to concede one inch of territory to Vladimir Putin, and yet the harsh reality on the ground is that Putin is taking, slowly but surely, and in a devastatingly brutal manner, more territory. So I guess my question for you, with all your military expertise, is what is, what is that reality on the ground from where you're looking? Well, it's a very, very hard reality uh, with very significant casualties, uh, very substantial rates of indirect fire from Russia. As, as you know, what they have resorted to is what they did in Chechnya and Grozny, what they did in Aleppo, which is essentially just destroy uh, a location when it put up resistance, to rubble it and then to take over that rubble. But what has happened in the past week or two, I think, has been quite significant, and that is that there's been a reduction, a very significant reduction, uh, in the rate of fire by Russian indirect uh, artillery, uh, by their missiles, by rockets, and so forth. Uh, and even though you have, you do see periodically missile strikes that are across the country, as you reported, uh, the rate of fire on the front lines, particularly in the area where Russia is trying to advance now in Donetsk Oblast or province, uh, is dramatically reduced. And we believe that is from the just basically exhausting the ammunition supplies, by no means completely, but dramatically reducing the supplies of artillery, rocket and missiles uh, that the Russians have. And then second, the increasing success by the Ukrainians in taking out the ammo supply points, as well as the fuel depots and headquarters of Ukrainian for of, of Russian forces with uh, the Ukrainian multiple launch rocket systems, again, the ones that have been pr provided by the United States in particular. 
uh, also by the enormous quantity of artillery, uh, heavy artillery pieces and ammunition. You know, just to keep this in perspective, the U.S. has committed up to 410,000 rounds of 155-millimeter howitzer ammunition. That's heavy artillery. Just to transport this with standard five-ton trucks could be as many as 12,000, 13,000 individual trucks, depending on how you're able to pack them. That is a staggering quantity. That's just the ammunition for the 155-millimeter howitzers. That doesn't include the the rockets, all the other uh, ammunition and systems that are being provided, and that's just from the United States, noting that, of course, uh, the UK, uh, Germany, many other countries have provided substantial amounts as well. And I should just note here, since, you know, we're on this is a British show, uh, the UK has really walked point in many respects for the support of Ukraine since the very beginning. The UK was the first to fly in anti-tank guided missiles. The U.S. was, or the U.K. was the first with anti-ship missiles, the first uh, senior leader of a major NATO country to visit. Uh, and, of course, he visited twice, as I recall, and then even visited, of course, uh, uh, Finland, uh, again, to reassure them as the wheels were turning for uh, the notification that Finland and Sweden would be uh, invited to join NATO. So, uh, again, I understand the concerns that President Zelensky voiced, uh, although I would also say, having always been the, a, a great believer in the special relationship between the U.S. and the U.K., that this kind of support will continue regardless of who is elected prime minister. But, Piers, if I could, the real uh, area on which we should focus right now is actually the southern part of the country. Uh, the southeastern part where the Russians did take control of all of Luhansk Oblast and where they're trying to take more control of Donetsk, that offensive is really slowing. It was always a grindly, costly affair, but it is now uh, really slowing down. And where we should focus is in the south, particularly in Kherson, that's K-H-E-R-S-O-N. That was mm -hmm. the first major city in the first entire uh, province that was taken uh, by Russia, coming right out of Crimea in the beginning of the war. And Ukraine has been on the counteroffensive. They've been setting the conditions, if you will, to use a military term, for a full-on offensive there to retake, to liberate Kherson City, which is a major uh, I mean, General, city. what you're and doing, if I may just, just jump in there, you're, what you're doing, you're, you're, sure. painting, you're painting a more optimistic picture than I anticipated. Is, is your belief that Ukraine, as, as President Zelensky assured me, is your belief that they could win this war? And, and if so, what more should the West be doing to help them do that? First of all, as I used to say during the surge in Iraq, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. I'm a realist. Mm. Uh, the reality, I think, on the battlefield there is that Ukraine has finally been able to be just really to begin to absorb this massive quantity of arms and ammunition provided most significantly by the United States, but also, again, by the UK and other major NATO and other Western uh, countries around the world. And again, that takes a lot of time. We had to train them on this multiple launch rocket system, the high mobility uh, rocket system, HIMARS, that we have provided. Now we're up to 16 of them. Now you say, what more could we do? I'd park 30 of them in eastern Poland and say, come get them when you're ready, as opposed to sort of meteoring them out. But mm -hmm. but again, that's a that's a minor point compared to the massive support that the United States has provided and the U.S. leadership, really, of NATO uh, and the transatlantic relationship in the entire world in providing 
this very, very solid support to Ukraine. Should President Biden be going? Should President Biden be going to Ukraine as President Zelensky has asked him to do as a as a symbol? It, you know, I'm a bit torn on that. Honestly, uh, you're going to put the president of the United States, you know, the world's reigning superpower, if you will, fly him in, put him on a train, you know, ride and put him uh, at risk of those missiles that you reported landed 20 miles from you. I, I don't know. I can understand why the Secret Service and others would have a very dim view of that. Perhaps a meeting in Western uh, Ukraine at some point might be. In fact, as I recall, President Biden's wife did uh, mm -hmm. go inside there and, and meet uh, out in the very Western portion. The president, of course, has been to Europe a number of occasions uh, and made a visit to Poland and a very strong speech there uh, as well, as you will recall. Yeah. Uh, but by and large, what has been provided by the U.S. in terms of its just sheer leadership and then the support in terms of money, uh, arms, ammunition, and so forth, is now enabling Ukraine, I think for the first time, to stop being on the defense and actually go on the offense. And I think the place to watch, again, is Kherson. The Ukrainians have been, again, setting conditions. By that, I mean they're painstakingly destroying yeah. with these precise multiple launch rocket systems and the precision artillery as well. Some of these rounds we've provided, over 1,000 of the rounds, are cost $110,000 each because of the precision and the additional range mm -hmm. that they can provide. And they've been, they've been destroying the headquarters, ammo supply points, fuel uh, depots, uh, and other major logistical nodes uh, for the Russians. And the Russians have had to withdraw these nodes out of that range, keeping in mind that it's as much as 70 to 75 kilometers for the uh, advanced rockets. Well, we've got to hope, uh, General, I have to, unfortunately, I have to leave it there. Uh, it's fascinating what you've just told me about all this. It's a brilliant uh, analysis of a very complex situation over there. And I greatly appreciate you joining me. I hope that your sort of green shoots of, of recovery by the Ukrainians against this Russian surge uh, come to fruition because it would be a major step forward. Thank you, General Petraeus, very much indeed for joining great, me. Great to be with you, Pierce. Thanks. Well, joining me now in the studio is Kira Rudik, who's a Ukrainian member of parliament, leader of the opposition. Great to see you. you you're in uh, the UK as you've been going around trying to rally support, obviously, are you encouraged by what General Petraeus said? He's one of the great commanders of modern times for the American military. And he was quite encouraging, I think, there about some of the gains that Ukraine may be about to make. Um, I actually agree with what uh, the general said. Mm. And this is something that we feel and we plan as well. Mm. I think till the beginning of winter, when mm. any military attempts will be very complicated, both for Ukrainians and for Russians, we would want to take back our southern territories. Mm. Not sure about the east, but right now, when we are finally getting enough of the NATO-grade uh, weapons, we are... Um, taking our territories back. I mean, everybody showing like, right. you know, how effective our yes. soldiers can be. I mean, what, what was, I was struck by over in Kyiv was just everybody I talked to was utterly, the moment I mentioned giving up any territory to the Russians, no, 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 everyone. You cannot. Too much blood has been shed. Too much murder and mayhem has been uh, caused to the people. And President Zelensky agreed with this. Other experts who've been involved in many conflicts say it's almost inevitable that the way this eventually ends is with Russia being able to keep some of this territory. What do you think? Why should we, as a sovereign country mm. who didn't do any harm, should right now give up our territory? Well, I agree with you, yeah. But do you think it's inevitable that they may have to? 
No, I do not think that. I think we will be fighting till the end. And if we will get enough of the support with money, sanctions and mm. weapons, we will be able to take those territories. You see right now by the facts, by the recent events that mm. we are able to. So that would be not the question to us because our resolve is consistent. That will be a question to our allies, to the United States, to you guys in the United Kingdom mm. of how long and how much we will be getting of everything that we will need to fight this war. Because if we will have to give up our territories, mm. then it will mean that if you have nuclear weapons, if you are Putin, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. I yeah, totally and the agree. Western, a Western world will be condemned. Yeah, I've been you. saying this from the start. If you give yeah. a bully what he wants, he keeps bullying. Exactly. I yeah. totally agree with that. And you we took will not up, allow you, him. There was a famous picture that came out of you uh, taking up arms, uh, like so many people in Ukraine, ready to fight the fight. We're looking at that picture there now. This is a country that will fight to the death to save its, its freedom and democracy. We will be fighting till the end. We all made this decision on the first day of war. And right now, every single morning, it's just you're asking yourself, what can I do so the victory will be closer? Where am I the most effective? What am I doing today so that we will be able to end this war as soon as possible without giving any of our territories, without uh, falling down to Putin? When I was in Kyiv, a few air raid sirens went off, but there hadn't been a missile strike in a month. And we were fortunate nothing happened when I was there. Almost the moment I've got back, overnight, a barrage of missiles fired from Belarus to all over uh, Ukraine, including Kyiv itself. People there live in this constant fear that they, they could be the next target of these missiles. It's, a, it's an awful condition for human beings to live in. You know, like when you hear air raid sirens, it's just like on the natural level you are thinking somebody will die. Yes. And this is actually terrifying because there is nowhere in Ukraine where you can feel safe mm. and you can know like how your day will end. You wake up, you go mm. to have some coffee with your friends and then you don't know like what's going to happen next. And it is terrifying and this is why we are not only asking for the offense mm. Uh, weapons. We are also asking uh, the way to close our skies so we can say, oh, there are some territories in Ukraine that you're are the, safe. You're the opposition leader, but President Zelensky has been getting a lot of plaudits around the world for his leadership. Are you impressed by what he's done in this war? Of course. And uh, right now we are not talking about us as politicians as coalition or opposition. Mm. We are all team Ukraine and we are all acting as one because now we know that it's a huge luxury to have the political debate, to be able to, uh, to uh, talk and argue about things. Because right now we have only one goal, and it's a mutual goal, and this to win this war. Yeah. After that, we'll be able to you know, go back to our normal life. We hope that they will What's be able the to do that. What's the thing when this is all over, which it will be one day, what's the thing you're most looking forward to doing again in normal life? having dinner on my backyard with my family without knowing that we'll have to go to the basement any minute. I think that says it all. Thank you so much for coming in today. And best of luck to you and all your people. I, I found the spirit of the Ukrainian people magnificent. You remind me of the British in World War II when the Germans were bombing us. They will not win. And I love that spirit about you. So thank you. Thank you. And glory to Ukraine. Slava Ukraini. Heroem Slava. Nice to see you. All the best. Well, Uncensored next, tonight's Piers Pack, Esther Kraku, Ava Santina, and all the way from America, Anne Coulter is live in my lair. Anything could happen here. It's going to get fiery. Join us after the break.
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You know, when I was in uh, Kyiv in Ukraine, I was there to moderate the First Lady's Summit of First Ladies and Gentlemen. And in the middle of it, a guy came on in combat fatigues. I assumed he was military. It turned out he wasn't at all. His name is Fedor uh, Shandor, Fedor Shandor. He's the head of a sociology faculty at a university in Kyiv and a historian. He's with the territorial defence in the Kharkiv region. And he actually has gone in and enlisted to fight on the front line. He came back from the front line to talk at the summit. Here was me talking to him at the summit when I discovered this. I don't think I've, I've ever interviewed anybody who sits on a panel one minute and literally is going back to trenches to fight for his country. It's an amazing thing. My duty in peaceful time to teach... It's my main line of duty. In the wartime, my line of duty is protecting my family and my nation. So thank you. It's amazing. Well, it was amazing, and then even more amazingly, I got this video from him back on the front line. Take a look. Hello, Piers. Uh, today is uh, 24 July. Uh, it's my soldier's brother. Chlopci pomachayemo Piersu Morganu. Uh, Pierce is uh, blind uh, maybe three, four kilometers of uh, zero line, dead line, uh, Slavyansk uh, uh, region. Hello, nice to meet you. The guy's a university lecturer. Isn't that incredible? Out there fighting for his country, uh, very close to the front line there. So to Fedir Shandor and your guys in that trench, best of luck to you. We're all behind you. Well, joining me now is tonight's Pierce Back Talk TV contributor Esther Cracker, political journalist Ava Zentina, and social and political commentator. I mean, that's a polite way of putting it. Anne Coulter, <laughs> welcome to all of you. I was called a welcome across the pond. What brings you to this country, and why wasn't I warned? <laughs> I thought I'd 
stage a sneak attack on you. Like, here I am. Uh, no, I love London. I'm so happy here. It's a beautiful city. Please take care of it. Let me ask you about Ukraine, because there is, you know, there's a growing sentiment in America that with recession uh, really pretty much here now, surging living costs and so on, that America shouldn't be committing so much money to helping fight a war which some Americans feel has nothing to do with them. Zelensky's answer to that was, actually, this is a war everyone is involved in. It's affecting everybody. What's your view? Um, I don't think so. I mean, you're not going to like my answer, but that was my position from the beginning. And there were I very rarely like anything becomes out of your mouth. Yeah, so that's that, fair don't worry, you can, you can fire away. <laughs> but I, know, but I do know a lot of American lot of theorists. Own... Oh, it is definitely moving that direction. It wasn't at first. It was just, you know, endless, endless coverage for this. I mean, there are a lot of things I could say about this going back to... I mean, I think Putin is a monster. You don't go around invading other countries. But we did provoke him. Putin has been reaching out to America. He was the first person to call after 9-11 to express his condolences to America. And Bush doesn't even call him back. We have just so dissed the Russians for such a long time. And the NATO thing, I'm sorry, I'm with Noam Chomsky, Pat Buchanan, George Kennan. Once the Soviet Union fell... There's no point to NATO. And we keep encroaching, encroaching, encroaching. Well, actually, we're now seeing exactly what the point of NATO is. Well, which you is to stop a murderous Ukraine dictator isn't like it's Vladimir Putin. Maybe. That's what NATO's there for. No. If he tries to invade a NATO country, he will get attacked. It's not a NATO country. He doesn't want it to become a NATO country. And no, I'm sorry, the Ukraine was historically part of the Russian empire of influence. And I'm not defending Putin. So you want the Soviet Union back? Not, no, I am not. What's but, what you're saying? Why, but why? But let's get back to the main point. Why should Americans care about this? We have our own problems. Why should the British care about it? I mean, you guys... Well, I don't need... I think it's a beautiful city, and I hope you save it. But you've just passed Brexit, a huge part of which was immigration. I guess it's the same reason that when we... Okay. And you have more immigrants coming right, in. Okay. I'm so glad... Let's not pivot to immigrants. ...that your Let guy, me... Boris, is gone. Right. And hopefully the next one will actually fulfill the promises of Brexit. But how about Let doing me, something for could, the British If I could get a word in edgeways, it'd be appreciated. Here's my point to you. When we were attacked by the Nazis and when this city was attacked in the way that uh, Ukraine cities are being attacked, actually the Americans, when you were attacked at Pearl Harbor, realised it was a world war and you came and helped us win the war and defeat Nazis. We'd all be speaking German. And that's the reason why when you have a massive war in Europe like this, which is the biggest since World War II, that's why we should come together. And America, whether you like it or not, biggest superpower in the world... We need your help. Ukraine needs your help. You can't compare everything to Hitler. Okay, Actually, if, I can't compare Putin, Putin to Hitler. Yeah. Okay, if Putin Hitler attacks invaded... Pearl Harbor, I'll, I'll be interested. But he's not attacking the United All right. States. Ava, I see you've been, uh, you've been listening to this with, with calmness. <laughs> well, no, I don't know. I think you were just talking quite a lot of tripe, actually. But, I mean, that's, that's your, your thing. Um, you know, when you talk about um, Russia not, you know, Putin not actually affecting the rest of the world. It's nothing to do with America. It's nothing to do with Britain. Britain right now is facing a huge crisis in terms of grain. We physically can't get wheat into the country. This winter, we're looking at our energy bills are going to be something like £500 a month. It does affect us. It directly does affect us. But, you know, we talk about globalisation. Most of your products, probably half of what you're wearing has come from different parts of the world. It's totally obscene to think that we're going to go back to some sort of, like, you know, FDR, like... Why not Rwanda? What's going on in Swaziland? A lot of countries are having a lot of problems and not all of your energy problems or grain problems are coming from the invasion. Do you actually know that know, your your interview with him, I mean, I think the most disturbing point was, and I'm glad you asked him, 
Are you willing to give up anything here? And no, his Why position is... Why should they give up anything? Because, what, he's going to fight to the last... Somebody invaded the United States. Okay, if someone invaded America, <laughs> any part of America, right? You're telling me that a single American would say, oh, yeah, we'll give them a bit of land, whoever it is. Um, no, you would, you would come together and drive them out of your country. Okay, and, and by Russia the way, has you'd a... want us to help you, which what? we okay, would do. Could we Google something? I, Russia has, what, 50 times more people than Ukraine? Mm. you got to end this war or it's going to be down to the last Ukrainian. All right, Esther. I'm really speechless, but I think in this instance I'm quite speechless. I think the international repercussions of what is happening in Ukraine cannot be understated. At the moment, the Russian foreign minister is in Africa because he realises that, you know, people have forgotten this, but many Africans are dying with the rising cost of energy and wheat, for instance. Egypt, which is the largest um, importer of wheat, the price of wheat has gone up by 250%. I think it's irresponsible to think that what is happening in Ukraine isn't affecting everyone, including Americans. Um, and it's only going to get worse. I mean... Look, the U.S. is trying to find a way around that um, at the moment, but I, I just don't understand how you can think that this is not an American problem. It clearly is, and he's not going to stop at Ukraine. Moldova's next, then Lithuania, then Estonia, then Latvia. Would you give it all back to him if he wants? He wants to restore the Soviet no, Union. No, and I yeah, think Vladimir, have, help yourself. Far more preposterous than the idea that he's going to... I forget Pearl Harbor, that he's going to continue. OK, when he continues, maybe maybe we care. But I, you know what else affects the rest of the world? Whether the United States of America, of America mm. remains the United States of America. Why don't you guys come over and help us build our wall? Why don't you help us deal with crime? Because you're right, we do step in. We, we send grain, food, we take out warlords... I mean, you guys do too. But America is mostly a force for good in the entire world, and our country is crumbling right now. So, yes, everything has an effect. I'm not saying there's no effect and you can make your six degrees of separation. Saving the United States of America, I think saving Britain, is more important than what is happening in Rwanda, Swaziland, or Ukraine. OK, let's move on to the issue of the Tory leadership race, because actually whoever wins this race is going to have to make these kind of calculations. And there will be people in this country who also think we shouldn't be spending a lot of money on a war in Ukraine when we have so many problems here. And they may not do the, the, the points of detail which bring the things together and connect, connect the dots here. From what you've seen of Liz Truss and Richie Sunak, who do you trust more of the two of them? One of them will be Prime Minister to actually do the right calls on this kind of thing. Whichever one employs Ben Wallace as their defence secretary, I think he's the only right. one who's actually been holding it together. I don't think either of them have got a clue. I don't think there's Ukraine. much disagreement there. I don't see any of them sort of getting rid of Ben Wallace. Um, but I think it's clear that Rishi Sunak's campaign is in free fall. Um, and I think the biggest issue he's had has been communication. Um, Boris said a cheeky, made a cheeky remark today that he suddenly found uh, the uh, money to... Uh, cut VAT on um, energy bills, um, which he's, he actually refused to do beforehand. And he hasn't really explained sort of his stance on yeah, why... It's, it's he kind of flip-flopping, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. it's going to be... It's, look, we've got five weeks left. Uh, I'm actually off from today. I'll be back on the day they announce the new Prime Minister. And I would say, at the moment, Liz Truss is, is playing a better political game. Yeah. That Rishi Sunak probably assumed he was going to win this quite easily. Not so easy now at all. But it's two shades uh, of the same colour, right? Well, yeah, do you like, care who wins that or not? Um, yes, Esther told me. Who's the guy I like? Rhys Mogg? Yeah, Jacob Rhys <laughs> Oh, my God. Whatever he supports, right. I'm... You know what? There's always a low moment with Anne Coulter in an interview. We've just reached He's it. He's wonderful. From a very low bar, by the way. Uh, it's good to see you. And, you know, Thank you. As always, you've rattled everybody's cage beautifully. Thank you very much uh, to my pack. 
Really good to see. Well, on says next, he's one of my most favourite sporting legends. And not afraid to speak his mind. Two-time major winner John Daly is here. One of the most charismatic figures in world sporting history. There he is. Look at him. Magnificent. We'll be with Mr Daly in a few minutes. This week is big news in the world of golf. Saudi-funded Live Golf Tour uh, heads to the Trump National Golf Club in New Jersey. The tournament's been accused of helping to sanitize Saudi Arabia's international image. A 9-11 families United Group have eviscerated both the defected golfers and the former President Trump for taking part. But joining me now is John Daly, a two-time major golf winner, Trump friend and supporter, and a great character. John Daly, what a pleasure to have you on my show. Thanks for having me, Pierce. I love you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. I love you, brother, too. I, you know, there was a moment at the Open in Scotland <laughs> when you were walking past. I think you were wearing your Hooters trousers. And I shouted your name. And you suddenly turned. You didn't know it was me. You just turned and looked at a group of people. And you gave us a hilarious smirk and a great wave. And we all just melted in awe at this great man doing his thing. <laughs> well... I love my fans, man. I've always loved them. I've always played for them. And, you know, wherever I've gone in the world to play golf, I've always had a home team advantage, and it's been awesome for 30-something years. It's just been great. Well, you deserve it because you, you give a lot back to the fans, I think. And also, you play golf the way I play, which is, you know, have a beer, have a game of golf, have a cigar maybe, have a bit of fun, smile on your face. But right now, John, golf is going through a very difficult, fractious period between the official PGA Tour and this rival Live Tour funded by the Saudis. It's now come to uh, Trump's course. He's up there. He's been promoting it. What do you make of this route? How do you think it ends? Well, we'll find out in the long run, but I beg Greg Norman to let me be on the Live Tour because, you know, we work really hard, and, and I play with Brian Harmon in a practice round and some other guys in the practice rounds of the British Open, and it's like, we play pro-ams, we get it, okay? That's what is a backbone of a lot of our tournaments. But Brian Harmon says, give us a box of chocolates for the effort. We make tent visits. We do this, we do that. I play two to three pro-ams every week on the Champions Tour. And, you know, we don't play for a lot of money on the Champions Tour. So I almost feel like, okay, I'm not getting a lot out of this. What, what, what are we doing? Look, I'd rather play with amateurs and the pros sometimes, but... You know, we've got to get compensated for that. And the Live Tour has given players that. It's given, you know, they play pro-ams. It's a big party. They play for a lot of money, which these guys that are on that tour deserve that money. And I think there's a lot of other guys that deserve that money, especially this old man. But, um, <laughs> and John, but what, what about the morality know, I think... issue? Because I, <laughs> I think, and I wrote this for the New York Post, there's a lot of hypocrisy about morality in sport. But a lot of the PGA sponsors, for example, do lots of business in the Middle East and so on. Uh, do you think there's a lot of hypocrisy here? Oh, Pierce, let's not talk about that. They don't want to be mentioned in that because, you know, of all the labor laws and stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's unbelievable. The politics is so stupid in this. I could talk about Nike. I could talk about other companies. that Little 8- and 13-year-olds are building shoes for Nike. Okay, we don't want to get into that, right? You want to talk about labor laws, we're talking about golf. Guys that are playing golf, it's an international sport. Jed, the prince of Saudi Arabia, is a great guy. 
Um, and he's given so much money to golfers that deserve it. Well, there's some that aren't deserving it because I should be on that tour. Yeah, why are you on the tour? You'd be my first time. I know all the band. Well, Greg says he's not doing anymore, and I'm too old. So, but <laughs> let me go into entertainment, and get all my, get all my friends to do the concerts and stuff, and let's, you know, it's playing with Bryson DeChambeau in the British Open. I'm sorry, the Open Championship. Yeah. I can't say British anymore, but uh, was an eye opener because he said it's the greatest thing on earth. We still play a pro am. It's two pros, two amateurs. Yeah, it's what it should be anyway. You're done in four hours. Yeah. And we play for a lot of money, which we deserve to play for. But, you know, I just wish, to sum this up, I wish every tour would get along where everything can work out. Because I think that's, you know what, John? Golf I think is that's such the, a great game. I think that's the way it's going to go. They're going to have to do a deal because so many top players are, are, are defecting. They're going to not have a PGA Tour at this rate. Talk to me about Donald Trump for a moment. Uh, he's an old friend of yours, uh, old friend of mine. Um, what do you make of him? What do you think about him running again for president? Would you endorse that? Daddy Trump is the greatest president we ever had. I go back to the Reagan era and Bush Sr. Um, what he did with kind of a, a downfall of presidency with Obama, nothing against Obama, but um, Daddy Trump came in, and what I love about him, he said everything that he was going to do. Unfortunately, the Biden administration did the opposite of what they said they were going to do. Our country is in shambles. Our middle-class people are starving. They're not doing anything for them, and it just makes me sick. Kamala Harris supposed to protect the border. She's been down there. She went to El Paso to have drinks and a Mexican food. It's, it saddens me that the way this administration is, the whole White House is so corrupt right now. It's all about them making money, and we'll worry about the American people later. Donald Trump never took a dime from the American people, never took a salary, and is one of the best presidents that ever lived. John, we call this show Piers Morgan Uncensored for a reason, because we like uncensored guests. You are an uncensored guest. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much. I love you. And what you did for the Queen's Jubilee, I couldn't take my eyes off the TV. Oh. Your knowledge of her was so amazing in the family. Thank you for that, because I got a new I got a new opening to what the Queen of Royalty was all about. That's brilliant. If Princess job. Diane was still alive, I'd be I would be married to her. <laughs> John, great to talk to you. All the very best to you. Thank you. See you, buddy. Well, that's almost over tonight. And in fact, that's almost all for me uh, because we've done 14 weeks on the show and I'm off to take a restful break interviewing serial killers in maximum security prisons in rural America. Jeremy Kyle will be borrowing my desk from next Monday. He's not the best choice, but he was the only one that was available. That's a joke. He's great. The show will go on. Uh, and I'm sure you agree, it's been a pretty extraordinary first few months. We started with an earth-shattering interview making headlines around the world. And that's how we've ended this first run. And I'll be back. A Only a fool would think that was a legitimate... You think I'm a fool? I do now, yeah. Let it roll! Hi, Margarita. <laughs> I do love a nice margarita, I have to say. <laughs> what is a woman made? <laughs> <laughs> have you lived up to every dream that little boy had? I have to say pretty much. Well, I like to tell it as it is. Yeah. I'm not influenced by the media. Yeah. But they are very seriously influenced by me. Yes. <laughs>
be triggered by aging anxiety. That's I'm, I'm prepared to forgive. Take that to your therapist. Are you interviewing me or am I interviewing you? Because you're doing all the talking. <laughs> I'm now going to have the great honour, Sharon on. Osborne, of officially uncancelling you to the world. It was um, stated that Elvis, you know, uh, was um, a racist. He's never been a racist. Happy birthday, Mr. Morgan. <laughs> you to confirm or deny if this is your Facebook page. Can you see the likeness? The I didn't put that picture on your profile page. Yeah, but you've chosen to spend two or three minutes of this interview talking about an irrelevant. The guy's been doing the, the same effing part for 35 years. Everybody knows American Pie, but if everybody that knows that song came to my shows, I'd be selling out stadiums. Kind of only came on, on here because I thought it would be kind of funny, um, but I want to say you're a I apologise again to all uh, viewers who are listening to that. I've rumbled you, Kim Kardashian. Have you ever actually eaten that vegan gruel? Eat a steak in the cash. How about if you do fight again, you have to give me a million pounds? How about that's a deal? Boris Johnson must go. The greased piglet of politics has slipped and squirmed through almost three disastrous years. <laughs> Boris Johnson is out. Your English is better than my Ukrainian. Yes, that's, that's true. That's for sure. That's true. <laughs> I was not laughing so much. So loud last, last five months. Well, we've had some fun. We've got some more fun. I'll be back in September when we have a new British Prime Minister on my first day back to stick my teeth into. Until then, whatever you're up to this summer, just keep it uncensored. Good night. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com code program.